right on. Well, uh, hey, we're going to keep cruising here through through Romans. We've reached this Romans chapter 6, this great section of Scripture, Romans 6 through through 8. And as we uh, arrive here, we kind of know the conversation where we've been. We've talked about righteousness through faith. Kind of all the way along here, Paul's been driving home this truth that that Abraham was made righteous before God through faith. He, be, he believed in God. He believed in the promises of God. And that reality and that truth is the same for you and I. We are made righteous by faith in the cross of Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. And what we saw, where we've been is this, is that in Romans 5, Paul was telling us about our justification, which means this. He was telling us about the realities of this truth that, that God sees us as though we've never sinned when we're in Jesus. And what we saw last week, and this is really important to, just was having a fun conversation at the break regarding this, but it's really important to grasp this concept to understand where, where Paul is going, where we were in Romans chapter 5, that either you're in Adam or you're in Jesus, you're, you're, you were condemned because you were in Adam and you will be saved because you were in Jesus. And it's this great truth. And, you know, I don't often say this, but I, I would say this. If, if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go back and uh, maybe go to the church website and, and listen to that message on the second half of Romans uh, chapter 5 there. But so as Paul goes on here, he wants to talk to us about life in Jesus, to be in Jesus and, and living in him. And he's going to tell us some things about this life that are so important. And this morning as we go through Romans 6, what we're going to see is that, that living in Jesus is meant to be a life of victory. A life of victory. And, and so as we come here to Romans 6, the thoughts of Paul begin to move just this conversation and the concept of salvation forward. And we've seen this. We're, we're dependent upon Jesus Christ. Totally, absolutely, we are dependent upon grace to save us. We're dependent upon the cross and his resurrection. There's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to make our, ourselves acceptable to God. It's just this. We look on Jesus. We look on the cross. We repent of sin. We turn in him to faith. And we, we put ourselves into Jesus. And so Paul, as he talks about this and us entering the life of Jesus, he's going to talk about reigning in life. Remember we, we talked about that a little bit last week. We saw it in, in, in Romans 5.17. Reigning in life. And this is an act of God's grace. His unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. Now when you... When you just think about grace, because one of the things Paul told us, and he's going to address this right off the hop, is this, is he said, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. And it's an interesting thing to talk about grace, because sometimes in the church, um, we love grace, but there's like this fear of grace at the same time. It's like, well, not too, yeah, grace, but not too much grace. Not, not too much, because if you give people too much, then, then it's licensed to them. They're going to they're gonna take it, and, and they're, you know, they're going to use grace as an excuse to sin. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting, because really, it, in churches, the tendency is this. Here it is. Get this. You'll know it as soon as I say it. The tendency is this, when you talk about grace. There can either be a slide into legalism, because you're like, yeah, yeah, but not too much grace. We got to 
put some structure and some rules around how we're going to appropriate God's grace to people. So there's a slide into legalism or there's this, we, on the other hand, we let grace become the license to sin. So the slide to legalism or the license to sin and all around in churches and denominations and all around the world, you see the extremes of, of those two things. And so as we've been cruising through this book of Romans, Paul's made it clear throughout the, the first portion of this book that, that we, were, we were dead in our sin. Because of Jesus, we've been freed from the penalty of sin. We've been made alive unto God. And, and now here as we dive into this section in Romans, really chapter 6 through 8, Paul is going to emphasize that, that in Jesus, um, that we are not dead in sin, but rather we are dead to sin. Not dead in sin, but dead to sin. In Jesus, not only have we been saved from the penalty of sin, but we've also been freed from its power. Saved from the penalty of sin and freed from its power. And that's what he's going to tell us about in this chapter. And so we're going to get some instructions for having victory over sin. And the first word that I see as I study this text that just jumps out is the word no. He, he says, there's some things you need to know. So look at verse one with me. He says this. What shall we say then? Can you jump up to the first slide there, Jonah? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Remember he said, where sin abounds, grace abounds. Oh, well, does that mean, Paul, then, that we have, we have license? And so as we've been cruising through Romans, Paul, Paul has made his point about sin and his, his need for grace really clear to us. We, we understand that. All of sin and fall short of the glory. We're going we're gonna to see... Uh, we saw in Romans chapter 3 and in this, in this text this morning, we're going to see the, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is e eternal life. But for some people, I would say this, the preaching of grace almost causes some fear. Like I was talking about, I was like, well, not, not too much grace. You know, and if, if we preach grace, you know, how, how will people live holy lives? If we preach grace... Why would anyone be motivated to live a, a holy life for Jesus? I mean, doesn't preaching grace give people freedom to sin? Whereas if we just, you know, laid down some structure, some law, some rules, and we tell people how to live, and we tell them what to think, you know, that'll produce holiness in their lives. And so what Paul is going to do is he's going to address that question, and he's going to show us how, how grace actually helps us gain victory over sin. Remember Romans 5, he said, where, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And so the question is this, should we live, should we just like practice sin or something so that grace can abound to us? Look at verse 2, he says this, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? This, this new life that we have in Jesus, remember we're, we're in Jesus, has brought us from death into New life. Paul talked about this in the last chapter. He said, if you are reconciled by the death of Jesus, how much more for does, does, does the Lord have for you in the life of Jesus? And so Paul wants us to know about entering into this life of Jesus. I love 2 Corinthians 5.17. Great verse. Lots of you have it memorized. It's this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation the old is gone, the new has come. 
and an understanding of, of some of the, the basic beliefs and tenets and doctrines and theologies of Christianity puts to death the idea that, that somehow grace should be a license to sin. No, the old life is gone. We're entirely new creatures in Christ Jesus. And therefore, grace is not a license to sin. Grace is, I would say this, it's not, it's not dangerous. And so Paul is going to show us that, that the key to fighting against the nature of sin in our lives is not, you know, preaching to people, no, no, like, you can't do that. He's going to say the, the key to freedom from sin is this, preaching no. Not no N-O, but no K-N-O-W. You need to know some things for a life of victory. Know what you've received and know what you've been given in Jesus. Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, Christian living depends on Christian learning. Duty is always found in doctrine. If Satan can keep a Christian ignorant, he will keep him impotent. And in the first part of this chapter in Romans 6 here, what we're going to see is that Paul is going to emphasize Three things that are going to help us in the battle place of our mind to walk in victory with Jesus. To be those who reign in life. Three things that we need to know if we're going to have victory over sin. And if we're going to experience the freedom from that sin that Jesus has won for us from the power of sin. And so Jonah's giving them all away early. Give them all away. How about backing up for me buddy? So the first one is this. I love my son back there. I just really appreciate that he's doing that. And uh, keep backing up. Keep going. And so the first one is this. Know that you are dead to sin. Know that you are dead to sin. Look at verse 3 with me. Do you not know? There's that word know. You might want to circle it. We're going to see it a few times here. Do you not know, in verse 3, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with a baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now here's something interesting. You know, we talked about this concept last week, and, and this is where Romans 6, 7, and 8 really build off what we saw in Romans 5. And so that's why I would encourage you to go back and listen to it if you didn't. We talked about this. That we're condemned because we're in Adam. You know, we always think, well, I'm condemned because I copied Adam. But we wrestled through this fact last week that we're actually condemned because we are in Adam. We're, we're part of his DNA. When he rebelled against God, all of humanity rebelled against God. We're a seed. And then we saw this, that we're also, we can, we can make the choice to be in Jesus. That our salvation is not based on the fact that we copied Adam or that we copied Jesus. You're either in Adam or you're in Jesus. And now Paul's talking about life in Jesus. Now here's something interesting in regards to this. When Jesus is nailed to the cross, the reality is, is that we're, if we're in Jesus then we too were nailed to the cross. We died to sin when Jesus died to sin. Are you with me? You're going to see that as we go through, through this. 
It's hard for us to understand that sometimes, but it's a spiritual truth. It's a reality that when Jesus was nailed there, we were nailed there with him. Paul said this, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. In the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And so he's going to talk about this crucified life. And so he says this, you need to know you're dead to sin. You're dead to sin. You've been made alive unto God. And, and he calls us to this knowledge. He's saying this, don't, don't be ignorant of this truth. And so the first thing that Paul points to us, points out to us when it comes to our relationship with sin is that we are to identify our lives with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus gave his church an ordinance for that to happen. What is it? It's baptism. That's what Paul starts to talk about here. That's why he turns to the converse. He says, you need to be identified with the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It helps you know that you are dead to sin. Now we know this, you know, that, that baptism does not save us. We're saved by grace. We, we put our faith in, in Jesus Christ. But baptism is something that the Lord's given us that, that is a means by which we make a public confession of faith that we're going to Follow Jesus, that we've put our faith in him. And water baptism is, a, is this outward symbol of an inward reality and experience. Water baptism didn't, didn't, didn't save you, but it's an outward picture of what the Holy Spirit did. When you confessed Jesus, you died, buried, and were raised with Jesus. So it's an amazing thing. I mean, we're waiting for this reality. We've been talking about this. We've been saved. We're being saved. We're going to be saved. <laughs> and so water baptism didn't save you. It's an outward picture of what the Holy Spirit did when you confessed Jesus. When you surrendered your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit identified you. He was the deposit put in you. And you were marked, sealed, identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And the Lord calls us into the waters of baptism to follow him as a picture of that. You know, when you went into the waters of baptism, if you've been baptized, it, it, it pictured a true reality of what happened to you. You know, we say it's symbolic, but it's true at the same time. It's a spiritual reality. You died, you were actually buried, and Christ raised you to life. The old is gone, the new has come. You're in Jesus. You're a new creation in Jesus. No longer ruled by the flesh. No, no longer under the power of sin. The spirit of God now indwells you. He lives in you. Like I said, that's why Paul said, I, I don't live any longer. Uh, but, the Christ, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And so in Jesus, we were... We were crucified and, and buried and raised from the dead. And so whatever happened to Jesus, when you identified yourself with him, it happened to you. He died, I died. He rose from the dead, I rose from the dead. And the scripture tells us that he is seated in heaven. It's interesting that Ephesians, that's what Paul goes in Ephesians to tell us, we're seated in heaven with Jesus. These spiritual realities. And so because of Jesus... Because of your relationship with Jesus, 
What Paul wants us to know is this. You have a new relationship with sin. You have a new relationship with sin. And if you want to experience victory over sin, then you have to adopt the new reality. You have to adopt the new thinking, which is in Christ who raised you up from the dead and from sin. And, and so what Paul is telling us is this. He's like, this is the mind that needs to be in you as you recognize you're in Jesus. Don't be ignorant of these things. And so Paul would use baptism, water baptism, to illustrate that we're, we're dead to sin and we're alive to God. Now, you know, it's, it's interesting to me just the weight that this puts on water baptism in my mind. You know, I was, I was thinking about my wedding ring, right? Like I, whenever I teach on baptism, I always use, if we're doing a small group thing or something, I always use the wedding ring. It's like, you know, as a, as a symbol of my marriage with Lisa. You know, we got, we got married those years back and we exchanged rings and they were symbols. Now, if we didn't exchange rings, the reality was we were still married because we made vows to one another before one another and God and before our witnesses. But we exchange the rings and we, we wear the ring and we say, this symbolizes a reality in our hearts and in our lives. Now, if Lisa decided or I, you know, she decided I'm not wearing my ring, well, nothing actually changes, but there is significance to the symbol, right? Like the symbol means something. So we, we, like, we like symbols. Symbols matter. God, God's given us symbols. Water baptism is a symbol. And, and baptism in that sense is like the wedding ring in your relationship with Jesus. You know, I remember years ago when, when I was pretty new here, I was spending time with someone and just, you know, as they were seeking to grow in the Lord, like I, I felt urged to emphasize water baptism with this person. I, I never really had that, I would say, before or since. But in this particular case, it was like really evident to me that the Spirit of God wanted a public confession of faith, that there was a need for this in this person's life. And so, you know, we had one baptism come and go and then another one come and go and, and we were having this ongoing conversation and, it's, and it was like, hey man, you know, excuse after excuse and putting it off and, and not long after, I don't know what happened, but we reached a point, a tip point where all of a sudden the wheels on the cart with Jesus for them just began uh, to fall to fall off and they disappeared into the, you know, into the community and out of the church. And I just thought it was an interesting thing to me because baptism's important. Public confession of faith in Jesus is important. To save you, Jesus gave his life on that cross. No one took it from him. He gave his life on that cross. He, he, was, he died, he was buried. He was raised from the dead. And I would say this, why would you not publicly want to identify with that? Why would you not say, Jesus, I've found life in you. I need to identify myself publicly with you in that. And, and, and so, you know, I would just say to you this morning, we don't have a baptism plan coming up. But if you're interested in being baptized, come and speak to me, okay? We, we love to, to do that. And so as we think about this and, and Paul giving us this picture of baptism, the first thing that he tells us about sin is this. Is he says, don't, don't be ignorant in your battle for victory. 
know this. Know that you are dead to sin. You're dead to it. You're dead to me. You can say that to sin. You're dead to me. In an Italian accent. Second thing he says is this. Know that you're free from serving sin. Look at verse six with me. He says, we know. There's that word know. You can circle it. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been free, has been set free from sin. It's interesting that word know, it means, it actually means this. Learn to know this. Like this doesn't come naturally. So it's something that you need to learn to know. You have to understand this, Paul says. You need to perceive it. It's spiritually discerned. And so we have been crucified with Christ and we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. So, Paul says, so that the body of sin might be done away with. Now to say that sin has to be done away with is to say that, that sin's power has been destroyed. This is awesome when you think about it. Sin has been put out of business, Paul is saying. It's like the shop got boarded up. Have you ever been fired from a job? I like to tell this story, make fun of my mom a little bit. So, okay, mom, I've been fired from a job. Uh, it was my mom's fault, not my fault. Because I was 14, it was like 1989, and I was working down the street at Mariner's. There's an old steak, steak and seafood house where the waterfront was. And I was a dishwasher in there. It was kind of like my first, like, you know, scheduled pay job. I had little long cutting things and all that kind of stuff. But I was going to this job. I made, you know, a whopping 425 an hour. And, uh, and so one time, you know, as the summer was rolling on, my, it was my grandpa's birthday, and, and he was getting pretty old. He was turning 80. And, uh, and so my mom said, you can't miss grandpa's birthday party. And I said, mom, I'm scheduled to work. And so my mom called my boss and she said, Matt can't work tomorrow because it's his grandpa's birthday. And then, so I went to the birthday party and it was a nice family celebration. And then when I came back to work, they gave me the pink slip and they said, we can't have our employees' mothers telling us how to run our business. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what she said on that phone, but I, you know, I don't know. Isn't that great? <laughs> Love our moms, right? And the best part was my grandpa lived for another 18 years, you know. <laughs> it was like, we don't know how long he's going to be around. And uh, so really funny. But, you know, hey, you get fired. Being unemployed, it's a, it's a tough thing. Some of you have gone through times like that in your life where you've lost a job or you've gone through major career changes. You found yourself unemployed, whatever. The point is this. Paul is telling us this. Sin has no job. Jesus put it out of a job. It's, it's been fired. Sin has found itself unemployed. Now the thing about your relationship with sin is this. It's like I never hired sin. You didn't hire sin. It wasn't like I was working for sin in this sense that it was like employee-employer relationship. It was actually like a master-slave relationship. Sin said, I'm your master and you're my slave and you will do what I tell you to do and you don't have the freedom to tell me no. Sin was our master. But the gospel is this. In Jesus, the master is fired. There's a new master. There's a new Lord. Sin is unemployed. Jesus has set you free. That is, unless I go back to the old boss. 
Say, boy, I just feel like a lashing. Would you beat me once more? Would you make me feel how small I am? Would you remind me how I am a piece of trash? I am your slave. Because we do that, right? We go back to sin and say, just, just remind me a little bit what it was like. Or think about the workplace. You know, have you actually found yourself, ever found yourself in the workplace in, in that position where you surpass someone in the workplace? You know, one time they were your supervisor and now, you know, as, if, as you've got trained in that, in that job, you become the manager, you become the supervisor. And when that happens, when the relationship changes, it means that there's got to be a change in thinking. It's like, well, I can't deal with that person anymore like I work for them because now they work for me. Now I'm in charge. And so it takes a, a change in structure in the workplace. And if, if you continue to act with that person like, you know, they're the boss and, and you're uh, working for them, then, well the, well, the reality is, is that's messed up. Why would you do that? You, you wouldn't take the subordinate position when you're called to be the master. And why would you let that person take advantage of you when you've been given the spot and and so that's like our relationship with sin right there know that you've been freed from the power of sin there's been a change in relationship you're dead to it and Jesus put sin out of a job sin is not your master and so when it comes to our thinking in regards to sin we've got to change our we've got to change that you know in our battle for victory over sin this we're talking about life of victory we've got to say no there's a change of relationship here You've mastered me for a while and I've just forgotten that Jesus says you're dead. And he wants me to reign in life. That there is opportunity for victory here. You know, next time temptation comes, knocking, we need to remember these things. You, you, you can look sin in the face. You can look temptation in the face and you say, I don't work for you. You don't own me. You're dead to me. And the amazing thing that, that Paul is talking about here, he's not describing experience. He's talking facts for us. These are true realities. He's stating a fact. Sin is not your master. Don't act like it's your master. Now, again, it's interesting because he started out this conversation with this like, you know, where, where, grace, where sin abounded, grace abounded. And, and so he said, is, is grace a license to enter into this stuff? And some, you know, treat grace that way. But pa Paul says that grace is actually, it, grace means this, you are set free from it. It doesn't mean go back to it and practice it. It means you're free from it. And so the third thing Paul wants us to know is this, know that you're alive to God. Know that you're dead to sin. Know that you're free from serving sin and know that you are alive to God. Look at verse eight with me. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know, there's that word again. You might want to circle it. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Now remember, if we were to go back, it's like, it's kind of hard sometimes in Romans, right? Because it's like thoughts are being built one upon another here. But if we go back and, 
we remember what we were what we were told in Romans and the uh, Romans chapter 5 in the much more Romans chapter 5 verse 10 Paul said this for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life Paul's telling us about the life that is in Jesus and how it saves us and he says no you're you are alive unto God Jesus is not mastered either by sin or by death. And as a follower of Jesus, that is your reality and that is my reality. We are not mastered by sin or by death. Therefore, why submit? Look at Romans 5.17 with me for a moment. A verse that just stood out to me so much last week. It says this, If because of one man's trespass, Death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus. Paul says, you got to know, man. You're alive unto God. You're called to reign in life. Sin is not your master. Sin is not the Jesus master, and it's not your master either. And so know that you're dead to sin. Know that you're free from serving sin and know that you're alive to God. Now, now the challenge for each one of us is to take this new reality, this truth, this reality of relationship with Jesus and this knowledge that we've received from God's word and to work it into everyday life, isn't it? That's like, that's the rubber meets the road. How do we actually experience freedom from the power of sin? Well, he tells us. Let's cruise on. It's uh, kind of the second key word in this passage is the word consider. In verse 11, he says this, So also you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I like, I was just kind of looking around. Some translations say different things than the word consider. The NIV says uh, uh, count. That's a good word. The, the New King James or the King James uses the word reckon, which is just kind of cool language. Reckon yourselves dead to sin says and and the idea is this it means that you need to make a calculation like you need to do some math how many of you love math I don't like math but this is an algebra this is like simple addition what he's telling us you need to to establish this truth in your life by a calculation you need to count these things one two three and so do the math remember what he's told us already know you're dead to sin Know that you're free from serving sin. Know that you're alive unto God. Add it together, count it up, and believe what God tells you. Faith. God's desire is not that you would feel like you are dead to sin. God wants you to fully understand, to count, to reckon, to consider the fact that you're dead to it. God wants you to believe his word and to claim it as your own. And so Paul says, when he says consider or count, he's saying make a faith calculation in your life. Take God at his word, add it up, step out in faith before him. Now we believe, you know, in claiming the promises of God, but it, you know, it's kind of cool here when I, when I read this, I think, you know, Paul's not really talking about claiming the promises of God. He's talking about acting on facts in my mind. I mean, it's kind of the same thing, but it's a different way of saying it. 
He's saying, act on the facts. You know, God never told, he never said this to you. I want you to become dead to sin. He said, you are dead to sin. That's a fact. He said, I, you know, don't act like you're a slave to sin. He didn't, he didn't say that. He said, you are free from slavery to sin. That is a fact. He said, you are alive to God. That is a fact. And what we're commanded to do is to add those things up. When we, when we calculate that, we add up the math, it, it starts to work itself out in the practice of life. You know, when I think about these as facts, even when you choose not to act on facts, the reality is facts don't change. There they are. So when sin comes knocking, it doesn't come knocking as a master. It's not a master. When it comes knocking, consider, count, do the math, stop, pause, think. You're dead to me. I'm free from serving you. I'm alive unto God. Get back in your place. And so Paul says, as we consider and we count ourselves dead to sin and, and alive to God, he, he, he gives us another word that's really key in this passage. It's the word present. Not present, like get your Christmas presents wrapped up at the mall, which you should do that. That's a great thing that Zoe does, by the way, for some of you guys that are locals. Like the Elves Club is really truly folded in this community, right? And Zoe's, the Lord led Zoe to just build this thing that's filling in the gap in that spot, helping needy people at Christmas. And so plug into that and hook into that. So he says this, present, or you know, some translations say offer, offer yourselves to God. And so that, that's the next section of this chapter. And Paul uses this word present about five times throughout the rest of this, this chapter. And it, and it means this, it means Present yourself to the Lord and place, to put yourself at his disposal. Offer yourself to him. Present yourself to something. Offer yourself as a sacrifice. Um, and the cool thing about it is this, is that this is something that's the fruit of grace in our lives. It's like he's saying, give yourself. Give yourself as a gift. Present yourself. Offer yourself. Do it voluntarily. You know, when we get to Romans chapter 12, we're going to get to that verse that's so, uh, verse 1, which says, in view of God's mercy, present yourselves to God as a living sacrifice. Offer yourself to the Lord as a living sacrifice. And so Paul, Paul's going to talk to us about that right now here in chapter 6. So he says, present yourself to God. So what does it look like to present ourselves to God? Well, look at verse 12. It says, let not sin... Therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. How are you to present yourselves to God? Well, I, I think about this. You know, um, mankind, we're made in the image of God. God is a triune being, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Being made in that image, we too are triune beings. You know, body, soul, spirit. And Outside of Christ, if you were to put that in a, in a vertical order of hierarchy, the order is this, outside of Jesus. The body is on top, the soul, the mind is in second place, and the spirit's on the bottom. Because the spirit's dead outside of Jesus. 
But when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, there's a change in the hierarchy of your life and the order of your life. And so now the spirit that was dead gets moved to the top and the body that was in charge gets moved to the bottom. You with me? And so when we're alive unto God, the spirit reigns. The spirit rules and the spirit's rule works itself out in, in the soul and in the, in the mind. You know, that's where spiritual warfare happens and then it all plays out in the body. And so it's interesting, Paul here starts to say, okay, now the spirit's on top. Now here's what you do with your body. You present it to the Lord. You offer it to the Lord. The rules have changed. That's how it is for the born again, regenerate person. The spirit's on top. And so the born again man or woman is no longer ruled. They're not to be ruled by the appetites of the body. Because that vertical order has changed. So look at what he says in verse 13. Do not present, there's that word, do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Now this is interesting because this is where freedom plays out in the Christian life. You have the option. That's what Paul's telling us. You, you have the option. You can serve the desires of your spirit or you can serve the desires of your, of your body. You can serve the appetites of the flesh or you can serve the desires of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. He says, you, you have knowledge of what Christ has done for you. Sin is not your master. So don't be ignorant. Don't let the natural man rule anymore. Don't let Adam be in charge. You're in Jesus. And, and don't let that natural man rule. Don't let Adam rule. You're a child of God. You've been purchased with blood. You present your body to the Lord. You offer your body as an instrument to him, to his purposes, to the work of the Holy Spirit. Allow, it's interesting that the Lord says this. He talks about our body as an instrument here. It's, the Lord's like saying, you know, you, you offer yourselves to me like a guitar in Blake's hands this morning. You offer yourselves to me as the instrument and I will play music on the strings if you will offer yourself to me. Or you can offer yourself to sin and sin will make music on you. You know, it's interesting because it's either way, it's like you're getting played. <laughs> you'd be played by sin or you'll let the, the Lord play you. You're an instrument. You're a child of God. Remember Jesus said to the woman at the well at Samaria, he said the true, true worshipers, they worship in spirit and truth for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And it's interesting here as we read about this that God wants our lives to be an instrument for his glory. The Holy Spirit wants to make to use you to, as an instrument with which he can make music unto the glory of God. And so how do we present ourselves? How are we to surrender our bodies to him? It's kind of weird to think about. It's like, what? God wants my body? <laughs> yeah, that's what it says. You know, Paul says elsewhere, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit lives in you? Yes. The Lord wants your 
your body to be a temple for his glory, for his name. And so the body is to be an instrument of the Holy Spirit. The, the body is to be used to build the kingdom. And, and we know this, that, that our bodies, that parts of our bodies can be used as instruments of sin. You know, your eyes, they can be used as instruments of sin. They, they can look on things that they shouldn't be looking at. You know, your mind, it can be an instrument of sin. It can just dwell on things that it should not dwell on. It, should think, it can think evil thoughts that it should be, and it, and it needs to be taken captive for Christ. You know, your, 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 your mouth can be an instrument for evil or an instrument for good. It can, with your mouth, you can, you can tear others down or you can build them up. You, you know, your heart, your heart can be an instrument. It could be a throne room for Jesus or it can be that place just full of deception and hatred and, and anger. And so if you're to wonder why we should present ourselves to God, well, Paul gives us uh, three reasons and we'll close the chapter with them and we're gonna just kind of touch on them really quick. But why are we to present ourselves to God? And the first reason is this, because of grace. Because of grace, present yourself to God. Look at verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means, he says. It's because of God's grace that we can actually offer ourselves to Jesus. So he's saying, don't offer yourselves to sin. Offer yourselves to Jesus. Don't think because of grace you can offer yourself to sin. Grace is calling you to offer yourself to Jesus. And we know the reality is, is that the law that he talks about, it doesn't save us. It only condemns us. And the, the fact that we are saved not by law, but by grace, by the unmerited favor of God, does not give us license to sin. It gives us a reason to obey. That's what I would tell you grace is. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is a reason to obey. And so we're not under law. You know it goes with the law. Sin. You know the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're not under law. We live by grace. Sin has no power. So why live the life of sin? Why hire back the old boss? I never liked that boss anyways. <laughs> I never liked that boss. So why hire that? That boss was a taskmaster. That boss was a slave driver. That boss belittled me and made me feel like a piece of trash. Jesus has never done any of those things to me. Why would I want to work for that boss? When by grace I can obey Jesus. Escape that jerk. <laughs> and so the next, so Paul says, first reason, the, the, the first reason that we uh, present ourselves to God is because of grace. And the second reason he gives us is because of freedom. Look at verse 16. We're going to rattle off through a big, a big chunk of scripture here through to verse 20. He says this. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey either of sin which leads to death or of, or of obedience which leads to righteousness. 
But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and have been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented yourselves or presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. So Paul says this, when, when you serve sin, you were free from righteousness. Righteousness didn't matter. It didn't matter. You didn't have, you know, you know, it's an interesting thing as a church, sometimes we're always trying to impress the culture of the kingdom on the world, which we should. But at the same time, you know, the world is kind of free from righteousness in a lot of ways because they're serving sin. What they need is Jesus. They need to hear about Jesus so that they can find out they can be free from serving that master and, and serve him and offer themselves to him. And so Paul says it's because of freedom because you're free, present yourself to God. Jesus set you free. It's kind of cool. It's like, you know, as followers of Jesus, we're the only people in the world who truly know what choice is. Everybody talks about freedom of choice. They don't know. Because they don't have some choices. Like in regards to sin. It's the master. That's no choice. You're a slave. But what Paul's telling us is, because of Jesus, we have freedom. We know freedom of choice. We can make a deliberate decision. I'm going to serve Jesus. Or we can make a deliberate decision. I'm going to bow to sin right now. And so Paul is telling us, because of freedom, offer yourselves to the Lord. Offer yourselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And those who are of this world don't have that freedom because they're slaves to sin. They're in Adam. We're in Jesus. Jesus set you free. And our freedom is the difference between us and those who are still in Adam. You know, like I said, the, the lost person has no choice. When they yield themselves to the desires of their flesh, they are under sin's power and they're under its control. And they try things to break sin's power, don't they? Like, I mean, you think about our... Our world, you know, there's all sorts of gimmicks and self-help tricks to break the power of sin. You know, self, like there are self-help clinics and hypnosis and worldly counseling and this and, and religion and this. And there's that. People want freedom. They want freedom from the power of sin over their lives. And even though sin is fun for a while, the, the, the reality is this, we all know this, that in the end it destroys. Like in the end it brings destruction. And so that's the world. But for those who know Jesus, they've had the penalty of their sin paid for. They've been crucified with Christ. They no longer live, but Christ lives in them. They're set free from the power of sin. They've come to faith in Jesus. And so they're to do this. They're to offer their body to the Lord as an instrument of righteousness to be controlled by the Spirit, by grace, and say, I'm doing it, Lord, because I'm free. I got the freedom of choice to do it. And so today I want to do this, Lord. 
I want to walk with you. I don't want to be under sin's power. I mean, do you remember? Do you remember what it was like, life before Jesus? Life without Jesus? Remember what life was like before you met him? Discovered the power of the cross to set you free? I mean, the reality is, is this, yeah, maybe you enjoyed life or whatever, but, but without Jesus, before knowing him, you truly, you truly could never experience life to its full. He said, in me, you can have life and you can have it abundantly. I mean, you, know, you never really knew what it is to live until you know Jesus. That's what I think. I mean, not that it's easy, right? We, we know that. We've seen this through all of our lives. It doesn't mean it's like a free pass and a free ride and it's all easy. But, but the truth is, it's like you don't know what it means to live unless you know Jesus. And so Paul brings us to one, one final reason, a third reason why you should offer yourself to God. It's for fruit. For the fruit of holiness and eternal life. Look at verse 21. But what fruit... He says, but what fruit were you getting at the time from those things which now you're ashamed of? For, in the, en- for the end of those things is death. Like I said, I mean, sometimes we just think to ourselves, man, following Jesus sometimes is hard. Sometimes following Jesus doesn't seem like the easiest thing, does it? But, you know, I would just remind you to remember what it what would it be like in comparison if you were on the other side of the fence? Imagine what it would be like to be without hope, to be without peace, to, to not know the reality of forgiveness. You know, sometimes I, th- I think about life with Jesus and I'm like, without Jesus, and I think, man, I actually wonder if I desire to live without Jesus because he's so incredible. And it's like, if that, was er- if that could ever be removed, it's like, would I even want to live? So it's not so bad being a Christian, is it? <laughs> Following Jesus. The gutter he's led us out of. From death to life. Look at verse 22. He says this. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God... The fruit you get, here it is, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and ends in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to read to you verse 22 again. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Why should I offer myself to God? Why should I present myself to the Lord? Paul would say this, because the fruit's this. The Lord will change you. He will sanctify you. He will bring forth the work of holiness in your life. Oh, but I thought we did that as the church by laying down laws and structures and rules for people. No, Paul says this. When you offer yourself to Jesus, Jesus is the one who brings the fruit of holiness. When you, you say, well, I can't get victory over sin. Look it. I know. I'm a person like you. Offer yourselves to Jesus. Just keep offering yourself to Jesus. Say, Jesus, because of grace, I present myself to you. Because 
I'm free and I could serve sin, but I, I'm choosing to offer myself to you, Jesus. Because, because my desire for fruit, I offer myself to you. And he said this, oh, let me sanctify you. Let me set you free from that habit. Let me set you free from that practice. Let me bring sanctification and holiness in your life. That's the fruit of offering yourself to God, Paul says. And he said, and its end is this. When it all adds up, eternal life. And it'll all be Jesus. Remember, just like last week, it'll all be Jesus. Not because you copied him, because you were in him. He said, I just step into the vine, Jesus. Nourish me. Give me life. Help me to walk with you. You know, verse 23 is such a great verse. We'll just wrap right here. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, so often we read that verse and we put all the emphasis on the front end, which is like totally true. It's totally real. It tells us that the wages of sin is death, that, that yes, there is a slave, master, employee, employer relationship and the wage that you get for serving sin is that you will die. But the incredible part about this verse is really the second half. And it's really meaningful when you consider it in the context of this whole chapter. And the second half of this verse says this, but the gift of God, the gift, the present of God, you present yourself to God and God's going to give you a bigger present back. The, the present from God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, I go through a text like this, I just think, man, God, you're so good. Like, isn't God amazing? Aren't you so glad that he has set you free from the power of sin and death? Aren't, aren't, aren't you glad that the master-slave relationship has changed? Aren't you glad for grace and for freedom? Oh, yeah, praise the Lord. And so knowing the truths of Romans 6, man, it inspires me. Like, I think, man, Lord, I want to walk in the Spirit. I want that vertical relationship of spirit, soul, and body to really be in its place. I don't want to serve the appetites of the flesh. We want to walk in the Spirit and live for Jesus and live what Paul's telling us about here, this life. This is a life of victory. What he's talking about here, this is reigning in life. Living for Jesus. Let's pray this morning. Would you guys stand with me? Worship team, I'm gonna invite you guys to come. You do have a closing song, right? Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> Would you guys bow your heads and pray with me this morning? Jesus, I just thank you for how awesome you are, Lord. You're so incredible. You're so worthy of everything in our lives, Lord. And uh, Lord, we thank you for Sunday mornings where we have a time just to kind of step out of just the pace of life and distraction, making a living and Monday to Saturday and have some refuge to run to you, to be reminded of the truths of your word. And Lord, as we, as I read this this morning, Lord, I must confess that I want these things 
Sunday to Saturday in my life, 24-7. Not just running the race, running around like chickens with our heads cut off, Lord, but serving you with intention and with purpose and with victory. And so, Lord, this morning, we just present, present ourselves to you, Lord. Whatever that looks like, Lord. Christmas season, I guess. Exchanging gifts. And Lord, right now, just in my mind, in our minds, Lord, we just say, Here, here's my life, Jesus. I give it to you. I want to be an instrument of you. Want to want to serve you. I want you to be first. I desire, Lord, that your grace and your freedom and the fruit of of who you are would work itself out in our lives. And so, Jesus, we just ask that you would change us this morning. You'd transform us, Lord. That you'd lead us to that place of victory, Lord Jesus. God, for those that have had patterns of sin, Lord where the order's been upside down and they've been mastered by something. Lord, I pray that the truth th that you have set them free from that master would begin to take root and produce fruit in them, Lord, that, that they would find freedom from habits, Lord, freedom from practices of sin, that they'd begin to reign over that, Lord, in you. And so, God, we just, uh, we just worship you this morning, Jesus. Lord, we just say thank you for victory today. Thank you for the cross today, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that we're dead to sin and we're alive unto God. And Lord, we want to learn to walk in that and live in that. In Jesus' name, amen.